Welcome to Unsung Heroes with Johnny, Daniel, James, and Sam. Our goal is to leave no hero unsung. Welcome to the Unsung Heroes podcast. I'm Johnny, and I'm here with some friends of mine. We have James. What's up, guys? We have Daniel. Howdy, partners. And we have Samuel. <laughs> Hello. Da- Daniel, you get me every time. Man. Oh, is, maybe we should do Daniel last. No. <laughs> Samuel keeps coming overshadowed by us just, just cracking like, up. I'm here... No, because you guys said this, everyone's now going to start listening specifically for Samuel. Yeah, that's, so that's true. Yeah. You're welcome. There Shout we go. Out Samuel. Shout out to Samuel. Oh, thanks, guys. <laughs> the real unsung hero, right? Now. <laughs> so today yeah. we're going to talk about Samuel Hurd. Yeah. <laughs> we did like songs for each person in the Unsung Heroes podcast. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean... That would be a little vain, but we could do it. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yeah. Man, we could go so meta with that. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, Anyway, uh, t- today uh, we'll be talking about Nellie Bly, uh, and it's actually uh, going to be me talking about her. So, Ooh, yes, go. hold your applause. Feel for the end. Um, <laughs> but uh, so, so Nellie Bly was an investigative journalist, and she's actually pretty well known. A lot of you guys listening out there uh, might have heard about her, heard of some of the things she did. She she really pioneered the whole uh, investigative jur- journalism as like as a thing, um, and she did some pretty crazy stuff, uh, which is kind of a pun so stick around to hear why <laughs> oh no <laughs> oh, no i think i've heard her name before but all i know is that she's a crazy journalist so i'm excited to actually hear about the things that she's done yeah yeah well so well that, that's the thing a lot of people have heard of her and may have heard of a couple things she did uh you know one or two things specifically but she did a lot of different things so that's why i kind of wanted to talk about her because you know people who might have heard of her might not know everything so um mm-hmm. i want to go through some of that and it, it she has a pretty crazy story so i think it'll be pretty cool hmm. yeah. yeah i'm excited to hear it yeah i mean it's kind of interesting because investigative journalism as it is today you know, a, a lot of journalists know about her because of what things that she did. Uh, but at the time that she did them, they were kind of unheard of, like doing certain things to investigate injustice or investigate certain systems, like actually going into it to investigate just to expose it hmm. had never really been done um, before her. So hmm. it's... Uh, yeah, pretty crazy. I'm interested to hear you guys, like what you guys think about investigative journalism just in general. Like, do you think it's like too invasive or is it like It almost a good has thing? become almost the the prime standard of what journalists aspire to now. I mean, I feel like yeah. good journalism is now uh, compared to this notion of finding out some huge injustice or something wrong that's going on and bringing out before the public. I feel like that's almost the norm even. That's true. But that also can sometimes lead to if there isn't a lot of news to report about, then they kind of try to search for something that might not be there. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. And that's how gossip magazines start. 
<laughs> well, that's how we get a lot of fake news. That's so. right. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. All those tabloids in the gas station are now like just ruined by that statement. We got them, boys. <laughs> uh, so, well, without any further ado, I'll go ahead and get into her life because there's a lot to go over and uh, I don't want to go too long. Um, so I'll go ahead and get into it. So Nellie Bly is actually a pseudonym. It's not her real name. It was her, like, journalism name, her pen name. Uh, her real name, she was born Elizabeth Cochran, and uh, she she got married, and so she her name changed to Elizabeth Cochran Seaman. Uh, Seaman spelt S-E-A-M-A-N. So. When did she get married? Uh, that was later. She was in her 30s when she got married. So Okay. okay. Yeah. So she, she was born um, 1864, uh, so near the middle part of the 1800s. Uh, so she was born to uh, Michael Cochran, uh, who owned Cochran Mill in Pennsylvania. So he was actually a pretty wealthy guy. So he he, um, he had a lot of land in Pennsylvania. And he had two marriages. And between the two, he had 15 children. Oh, wow. Um, wow. And Nellie Bly was... Uh, from the second marriage. He had 10 children with his first marriage and five with his second marriage. And she was one of the five. Wow. Hmm. Yeah, so... Uh, Still had less children than uh, Dicey Langston than Dicey did. Langston, yeah, I know. <laughs> didn't, didn't, break, didn't break Dicey Langston's record. Yeah, but, still, yeah, still keeping that record. Yeah. We still have that record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so her father had a lot of money, but because of, like, all of this family and stuff... It didn't exactly trickle down very well. Uh, so she, she started going to boarding school when she was six, but then her father died and they ran out of money. So mm, uh, she wasn't able to keep going to boarding school. She had to come back home and be with her mother, uh, which sadly, so her mother did get remarried, but apparently it wasn't a great relationship. And he, her her husband was... Uh, reportedly abusive so they ended up getting divorced and she moved to pittsburgh wow Mm, wow yeah so at this point you know even though uh her father had been wealthy and owned all this land now pretty much her mother and and her children don't have pretty much anything wow a really rough way to start yeah i know i know yeah it's 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 rough and and Honestly, part of her schooling, I mean, she wanted to go to boarding school and, and ran out of money, but she, she kept going to school, obviously, but it wasn't, you know, it, she, they weren't able to afford the fancier schools or anything. Yeah, right. That makes sense. Um, yeah. And, and she kind of got to witness her mother struggle as a working class woman and, and kind of as a single woman at this point, hmm. uh, which kind of inspired her in this next portion of her life. So she's in Pittsburgh. Um so there's this newspaper in Pittsburgh called the Pittsburgh Dispatch. And so around this time, Nellie is 19 or 20. And she, she reads an article in the newspaper in the Pittsburgh Dispatch. And so this is what had happened. So previously, there was an anonymous reader of this newspaper who had written a letter to the newspaper writers or the editors. It was an anonymous letter he was just called the anxious father and he wrote to the newspaper asking for advice on what to do about his daughters he had five daughters who were all unmarried and he was worried about them 
what do I do with all these unmarried daughters? <laughs> that sounds yeah. like a Pride and Prejudice or Jane Austen novel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And, and you know, it's possible that this whole idea of the anxious father writing about his unmarried daughters was kind of made up by the newspaper just so they could write about it. Mm. We should make up unsung heroes. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you're telling me that, that newspapers <laughs> sometimes lie about things? Wait, whoa. What? Wait. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Man. yeah, I know, right? It's crazy. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so because of this guy, you know, the anxious father who had written about his unmarried daughters, he was saying, what do I do with them? I'm worried that they won't be able to, you know, take care of themselves and all this stuff. So... A columnist for the Pittsburgh Dispatch decided to write a piece about this, kind of a, an answer to this anonymous writer, uh, titled, What Girls Are Good For? And you can Uh-oh. imagine, yeah, you can imagine. Uh, this guy's name was Erasmus Wilson. Erasmus don't do it, man. Yeah, yeah. Turn back more, now, man. More like Erasmus Singleson. <laughs> yeah. What? <laughs> That makes no sense. It's <laughs> a horrible joke. <laughs> I tried. Johnny, I tried. Johnny, please just keep going. Yeah, sorry. I'll just keep going. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the columnist writes back in a column titled What Girls Are Good For. He pretty much says that uh, women should not be in the workforce and that they are really only good for keeping the home and having children. Mm. Why um, should she be a slave? Why should she resign yeah, herself yeah, right? to menial housework, man? Uh, <laughs> yeah, rings a bell. That's just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, something else he wrote, which this is just very deplorable. He At the time of this writing, right in the mid... Well, this was kind of near the later part of the 1800s. Uh, China had a policy that allowed for the killing of female infants because females were less desired than sons. Ugh. Uh, mm. So China kind of had this policy of that. And so this columnist, he kind of quote unquote jokingly was like, maybe in America it'd be better for us to adopt China's policy instead of allowing all these women to be in the workforce. Mm. Uh, And so that was... Yikes. Yeah, that was really Did you say this was published? Yeah, it was published in the Pittsburgh Dispatch. Yeah. It was one of their columnists. Yeah. Is the Pittsburgh Mm, Dispatch still around? I actually don't know. Um, I mean, I haven't heard of it in recent... Because you're about times. to get a real angry letter in the news. Well, <laughs> I, well, they got they got a lot of angry letters be, because of this columnist. Yeah, I'm sure. At the time. Sounds so, like a really nice guy. The kind of guy you want at parties and stuff, you know? Yeah, I feel like with today's day and age, with all the, like, tweets and going back, uh, like, decades and seeing what people have said over the years, like, I feel like this is just an extreme version of that. Right, yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Yeah. We're gonna shut down the, the Pittsburgh Dispatch. Oh, <laughs> Pittsburgh Dispatch! You think you can talk about this issue? Well, two hundred years ago, you had a call. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, well, they did get a lot of angry letters. Uh, one of them was by Nellie. She wrote to them because of this columnist, and she actually also wrote by an anonymous name. She wrote under the name "The Lonely Orphan Girl." Dude, these these all sound like extras you would have in a script. You know? yeah. Anxious hi, father. Hi, Lonely I'm Johnny, orphan. and I'll be reading for Anxious Father. <laughs> Seriously. 
Yeah. Uh, yeah. So she writes back, right? And which it, it is kind of interesting because she, there were a lot of people who wrote, you know, a, a lot of women in the area who were riled up because of this columnist and, and all wrote to the newspaper. But uh, Nellie's caught the eye of the editor because, I mean, he, what the editor kind of said, his name was George Madden. He, he reads her letter and is impressed with her ferocity and her passion in, in her response. So she writes a letter about the value of women. Uh, and, and what she says is she wants to talk about the value of women who are women who that don't have talent, don't have beauty, and don't have money, uh, you know, because those were the things that they just kind of assigned women value. If you don't have any of those things, you're not, you're not really a worthy, mm, valuable oh, human being. Mm. So, but she was saying, no, what is the value of women who don't have these things a- anyway? Uh, and, and she talks about how people don't understand how hard and unfair uh, it is for working class women, especially kind of lower class women. And a mm. lot of this comes from her witnessing firsthand with her mother, her, her, their struggles in Pittsburgh. Yeah. Wow. Man, was, so do you think that this, this column was like clickbait, basically? Or they were just trying to get a reaction from people? Or did this really reflect a common sentiment, you think, in the general population? So, uh, honestly, uh, I I believe that there was a a very strong sentiment of women shouldn't really be in the workforce. Mm -hmm. Uh, At at least, so uh, some things Nellie writes about in her response kind of shed light on this. A lot of women were relegated to simple factory work and not not the same kind of jobs that men were given. Right, right. Hmm. What year is this again, or what time period? This would be in the 1880s. Okay, and I, I feel like wasn't wasn't it maybe World War One or whatever where as all the men went fighting, women really like cemented themselves as yeah. a workforce. That's a time of suffrage as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which I mean is still farther down the road from this, and 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 at this time, yeah. What she writes about is talking mainly about how society didn't think women were as valuable as men. And that's why yeah. she wrote this the, mm, on right, the value right. of women. They they can only really do factory work, uh, and not actual other uh, you know not actual men's jobs, quote unquote. Uh-huh. Uh, and if they did do men's jobs, they were vastly underpaid. And she talks about that as well. So. Here's a a quote from what she writes. She says, If girls were boys, quickly it would be said, Start them where they will. They can, if ambitious, win a name and fortune. How many wealthy and great men could be pointed out who started in the depths? But where are the many women? Let a youth start as an errand boy and he will work his way up until he is one of the firm. Girls are just as smart, a great deal quicker to learn. Why then can they not do the same? As mm. all occupations for women are filled, why not start some new ones? So she's pretty much saying society thinks boys can make a name for themselves in business, right? But they don't think women can, right? Mm. And so she's saying, why, why not? Women are just as smart, just as you know, talented. Uh, they can learn. They can do everything. She even talks about in a lot of cases, women have jobs where. A, a boy would be paid more for it, but they uh, they underpay the girls just because they're less valuable, even if they're doing better work. You know, they, all this types mm. of stuff. Um, and she argues that 
you know, having better job equality and income equality would be not only better for the women, but better for society as a whole. If they started actually, because she's saying women are more talented than just this factory work. If if we started implementing them in other parts of our businesses, uh, our businesses would actually do better. You know, it'd be better for society. Right. So more like a meritocracy. Like let's get, let's get the best of the best, regardless of of their their gender. Right. So it's like, hey. Um, you, if you have somebody who's skilled, use them, you know? Right. <laughs> but I guess it's hard. I mean, it's important to remember, yeah. I think, for the, the tumultuous change that was going on in society, I think, you know, because of how arduous physically a lot of typically male labor was, as jobs changed with technology, I think people often weren't ready for the fact that physical strength isn't just the only factor anymore, right? Yeah. So, you know, before, right. like, the men would work the fields more and the women would obviously help care for the home because that made sense with being economic with your time and efficiency and energy. But now that, you know, the society's changing so rapidly, there are so many jobs that are not necessarily benefited by simply having the more physicality of a male, for example. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, it was much more about mental capacity rather than physical. right. I think she does. She makes a good point that that's that's that that's obviously something that women have just as much as men do. So why not utilize that? Yeah. Right. So, yeah. Right. Exactly. It's a really good point. Well, and and as we'll see, you know, it's kind of ironic about the physicality because a lot of times physical labor was relegated to women at this time. Yeah, which, like the which, mundane factory jobs. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. Yeah. which Seems it, she very backwards. Right. She actually continued to write about this. So uh, George Madden, the editor of uh, the Pittsburgh Dispatch. Uh, read her letter and was impressed by it, and he put out an ad saying whoever wrote it can come to their office to get proper recognition because uh, she wrote it anonymously. So uh, she shows up the next day at the office, and uh, he offers her to write an extended piece for their uh, paper kind of about what she wrote about in her letter at, and but also kind of extending it. She She ended up adding parts about the injustice in the divorce system and divorce laws and how women were often mistreated in, by divorce laws. Like they would end up a lot worse off in a divorce than a man yeah. uh, because of the laws and everything. So she she writes about that as well. You said she was divorced, right? No, her mom. Her mom. Her was mom. Okay. So I yeah. guess she would have seen this firsthand. Yeah. Yeah, okay. exactly. Again, yeah, she's taking she's she's taking this from her experiences uh, and her mother as well. A okay. At this point, at this point, she's twenty one. Okay, um, I got you. Or actually, no, sorry, she's twenty at this point. She's okay. twenty years old uh, and and unmarried. So after this one piece, she's offered a full time job with the uh, Pittsburgh Dispatch, and so she accepts. And uh, you know, most female journalists wrote under a pseudonym, so she decided to choose a, a pseudonym. She chose Nellie Bly. It was actually a, a song title of like a popular song at the time, um, but it was spelled different. It was spelled N E L L Y B L Y. Uh, the song was, but then when she told her boss, "Hey, I want to be known as Nellie Bly," he misspelled it when he <laughs> when he uh, pu published the article. <laughs> Oopsie. So, yeah. But she just stuck with it, and people ran with it, and she didn't care that much about that. So, um, and she was known as Nellie Bly with an I E. So she started as soon as she started. She she wanted to write uh, a series of of articles about mistreatment of women factory workers, and how they're underpaid, their their conditions are bad, and everything. And so she started to do a little bit of investigative journalist uh, journalism. 
right then she she starts to actually go into some of the factories examine some how things are are doing she's not really like going undercover or anything but she is trying to uh you know examine it as well as she can and write about the mistreatment of women in factories and this was during the height of the gilded age right so this would have been kind of when Mm -hmm. the whole factory culture was in full swing if you write some of these big massive monopoly tycoon guys that we think of like vanderbilt rockefeller you know carnegie like these guys yeah this was kind of that that age wasn't it right yeah Yeah. exactly exactly Mm -hmm. wow yeah so So, she must have seen a lot of bad stuff man like the conditions were pretty awful (laughs) yeah well there's also a lot of child labor going on at this point as well right um yeah yeah well she so she writes some of these articles but uh some factory owners write complaints about her articles to the newspaper. Of course they do. <laughs> and so they pretty much take her off that assignment and say, no, you have to just do pieces on fashion and gardening and stuff, which is usually what oh. female journalists, j- journalists would on. have to do. Man, they're probably just like, hey, these kids love it. <laughs> Don't you, Timmy? <laughs> He's like sitting there, soot-covered face. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah. yeah, so she she's pretty much relegated to just doing the quote-unquote feminine articles, uh, you know, that were oh, perceived man. at the time. So Wow. Yeah, um, so she becomes pretty dissatisfied with that, and so she's like, nah, I'm not having that. I'm not going to do that. I, it, she, I think she does write a couple of pieces like that, but she, she's like, nah, this is not for me. <laughs> They're all like metaphors about <laughs> <laughs> factory labor. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, you see, this piece of fashion rep- re- represents you know, the mistreatment of women. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So she becomes dissatisfied, and she... Uh, she asks the 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 editors if she can become the foreign correspondent for the newspaper in Mexico. And hmm. so they send her to Mexico. They're like, "Okay, so she she moves to Mexico for 6 months to do more investigative journalism." Wow. And uh she kind of writes several articles during this time and they're kind of compiled into a book called 6 Months in Mexico. Absolutely named. Right. Yeah. Uh, you'll see like kind of this, she, she writes actually several books throughout her life and, uh, you'll kind of see a similarity in the way they're titled six months in Mexico. Uh, yeah, just keep that in mind. Yeah. So this was during the Porfirato, wasn't it? Or the Porfirio Diaz time. Yes. That was an interesting time in Mexico. Very interesting time. Yes. How do you know all this, James? What is a Porfirato? I took a course in Latin American history for like a whole year. So yeah, I learned a little bit about Mexico during this time. Yeah. So she, yeah. So that plays part in this. So (laughs) (laughs) she decides to write pieces about Mexico and send them back. So she writes a lot about the poverty that she sees. Mm-hmm. Um, she actually writes about people's addiction to the lottery in Mexico. A lot of the poor people, she said, would pawn everything that they have just to buy lottery tickets. Wow. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And wow. also about uh, tobacco use and marijuana use in uh, in Mexico, which is actually one of the first uh, reports on marijuana use in that region interesting kind of in history so that's kind of interesting but but what ends up happening is a local journalist in mexico is imprisoned by porfiro diaz so as james mentioned porfiro diaz is here in mexico he is pretty much the dictator of mexico yeah he ran on no re-election and then 
got reelected like <laughs> yeah. a bunch of times. So right. He's one of those guys, you know. <laughs> yeah, and he pretty much. Oh man. Yeah, he pretty much becomes a dictator, and uh, and so Nelly notices this, notices that he's silencing the press and is controlling propaganda and trying to do all this stuff. He imprisons a local journalist. So she writes a report about this saying, you know, talking about the imprisonment of this local journalist. Well, this puts her life in danger, actually, and she has to flee Mexico back and go back to the U.S. Do you know how close she got to, like, do like being arrested or anything? No, I mean yeah. I don't know. I, I think once she wrote that report, like there were just rumors. As soon as she jumps over the border, Sam, like a like a like a bullet goes <laughs> like, right by her arm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. In the in the you know in the TV series coming out, that's how it be yeah. portrayed. Yeah. yeah, like she puts her pen down and looks up and sees a crowd of people standing yeah. outside her window. Yeah. Well, that, that that it makes sense. I mean, Mexico at this time. I mean, right after you know Porfirio Diaz basically you know dies, basically after this that period starts the Mexican Revolution, which was a huge, just massive revolution that a lot of people lost their lives in. Society was thrown into absolute chaos for years, and there was mm. tons of stuff bubbling up because of the way Porfirio Diaz would repress you know people who disagreed with him and take out any dissidents at all. So this kind of makes sense in line with what she was doing there. So I would imagine people are still feeling the repercussions of that. Yeah. I mean, uh, definitely from kind of some of that uh, unrest, but yeah. So she goes back to the U S and she ends up from the U S writing more pieces about Porfirio Porfirio Diaz kind of criticizing his dictatorship and everything. But uh, she goes back to Pittsburgh uh, back to the Pittsburgh Dispatch, and they again relegate her to you know covering the arts and fashion and whatever, and Jeez. and she, and she she doesn't want to do that, so she's like nah fam, and she leaves for New York City, uh, to get away from them, and and she pretty much quits her job at the Pittsburgh Dispatch. So, um, mm. she goes and tries to find another job in New York City, but she can't find one for four months, and she loses all of her money, uh, in the process. But eventually she talks her way into a job with another newspaper in New York called the New York World. This is where she really takes on uh, kind of more of her potential as an investigative journalist because the Pittsburgh Dispatch was kind of holding her back. But now the New York World... Uh, she feels more ready to actually do some real stuff. So I want more pictures of Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> right, in New York. <laughs> yeah, so pretty soon she takes on the assignment that she's most well-known for. Well, one of two assignments that she's most well-known for. And that is her report on the women's, in, women's Lunatic Asylum in New York City. So... She is assigned by this newspaper to go undercover in the Women's Lunatic Asylum to investigate the abuse of their patients. Oh, my gosh. So she has to fake being crazy in order to be admitted into the asylum. Oh, that's wild. Yeah, so so nobody but her and the New York World, the the editors at the New York World, know that she's going to try this. Like, other newspapers don't know, you know, the government doesn't know, the insane asylum doesn't know that she's wow. trying to to do a piece on the asylum. So, hmm. uh, getting admitted to an insane asylum was actually pretty difficult. I mean, it, relatively. I think at this time in history, it was easier than today. They didn't actually do as as official of reports as like kind of we do today. But uh, 
it was still she had to be pretty convincing. So she would practice for for a night. She practiced doing faces in front of a mirror to give herself kind of a crazy kind of look, uh, <laughs> and like do weird faces and stuff. This is like method acting as its finest, you know. Imagine that being your job, like yeah, to stare at a mirror all night. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and yeah. So so what happened was she checked herself into a boarding house for women, so kind of like a like a hostel type thing mm. uh, for girls, which is kind of a normal like place where normal people stay. But she kept herself up all night uh, and went to the people who ran the boarding house and would start like s- telling them that she's paranoid that other people in in this place are crazy and she's saying these people are crazy and <laughs> you think and, I'm crazy? No, you're crazy. You're crazy. <laughs> yeah. She she starts pr- pretty much she starts acting really paranoid. Man, that's disturbing. Um wow. and and she she refused to sleep so kind of it would give her this kind of glossy-eyed look. Um and so in the morning eventually the people running the boarding house called the police about her because she was kind of causing a ruckus about all of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so the police take her to a judge, and she keeps saying that she kind of is losing her memory. She can't remember things. She might have amnesia or something. And the judge says she might be on just on drugs or something. She, she might have been drugged. So, wow. do, so doctors were called to look at her, but they don't find, you know, any drugging or anything, uh, obviously. So they label her as insane. Uh, one of the doctors said she's positively demented, a hopeless case. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, right? Yeah. Yeah. So why didn't she go into acting? I mean, if she's yeah. this good. <laughs> because there are social injustices, that's, James. That's right. <laughs> she needs to set, shed light on. Wow. Yeah. So, which, so the interesting thing about this is like none of the other newspapers knew that, that she was faking it. News kind of goes out that there's this crazy girl who came out of nowhere. Uh, so other other newspapers kind of report where did this crazy girl come from? Why? Yeah. Like, what do, what do you mean out of nowhere? Like, did they keep tabs on all the other crazy people? Like, <laughs> so she actually went by a different name. I think she went by Nellie Brown, which is kind of similar to her pen name. But <laughs> <laughs> it's like they have the two names on paper next to each other. Like, no, it can't be. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, that, that's the thing. Like a person nobody's heard of, and uh-huh. they're causing yeah, a ruckus yeah. that you know there hasn't been a ruckus there before. That kind of thing. So, well, I'm sure the the newspaper would have not even been considering this. Like, this wouldn't have been a consideration to them that somebody would go this far into investigating this. Right. That, you know well, that's mean? the other thing. Right. Because no one had done this type of thing before. So right, they exactly. wouldn't think that this was a journalist. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in terms of a cover, that was probably as good as it gets. Right, yeah. exactly. I mean, maybe maybe today people would point to that at first, but you I know. mean, like I know it'd probably be terrifying. Imagine admitting yourself to an insane asylum and having to act the part as well. I mean, that takes yeah. a lot of bravery. It really does. Yeah, imagine faking your way into Shutter Island. Like I wouldn't do that. <laughs> like no, no, no. Yeah, not only that. I mean, it's bravery because she's wanting to report on abuse in this insane asylum. So she's going into something that she she. Uh, she kind of thinks might be a bad situation. Mm. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So to do a little a little plug, really quick, there was a TED talk I watched maybe like a year or two ago about a, a guy who was trying to escape a prison sentence, um, and so in order to do that, he decided he would pretend, uh, kind of like Nelly, that he was crazy, 
so that he could be admitted into an insane asylum. And he ended up doing that, but his sentence was like three or four times longer than if he had just taken the regular prison sentence because nobody believed him when he said he wasn't crazy and then he just faked it. Yeah, right. Yikes. So I'm, yeah, just like the amount of risk involved, I, I don't think people initially think about that. As you'll see, Samuel, that's a motif that happens in a lot of insane asylums. Uh, if you, you know, as we keep going here with N- Nellie Bly. Interesting. Um, right. So she's inspected by these doctors who deem her insane. So she's admitted into the insane asylum. Uh, but once she's admitted, she stops acting insane and she began to act normally, kind of as, if, <laughs> as she normally would. Uh, but kind of as you said, Sam, the staff didn't notice that she was no longer insane. And she actually started to re- to report that her, the normal actions she would do were symptoms of her insanity. So she would she wow. pleaded to be released and they took this as a sign of insanity. Seriously, yeah. hmm. that's, that's like a like a catch 22. Like, like, how do you win? Like, yeah, if you're actually cured. Right, exactly. They say, that's exactly what an insane person would say. But then exactly. yeah. and, and well, and that's the thing. Like, she drops all pretenses, so she probably. I mean, I don't have direct quotes here, but she probably would say, "Like, guys, I'm not insane. Like, I know you think I am. I'm not." Yeah, but the hard thing Please, is that like, some people who are insane are really actually good liars I and know. good actors. Right. So it is a hard thing. Yeah, yeah. man. Yeah. Man. Well, and the, so the other thing is, she starts to talk to other patients, and some of them to her. She, in her report, she says they seemed to her just as sane as she was. Hmm. Oh wow! Uh, hmm. So oh, it's man. you know it might be it might be what James is saying in that they're just good at acting like it, or it might uh-huh. be that you know they should have had a test where they ask everyone is on the Unsung Heroes podcast the greatest podcast there is. If they say no, <laughs> no, they're insane. Aut- aut- automatic, <laughs> automatic admission. <laughs> that's how we that's, do it. That's how you know. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, so she's in this insane asylum. Uh, so she she starts to report some of their conditions. Um, so obviously, while, while she's in there, she's not able to like report back or anything. Only after the fact did she was able she was able to report this. But apparently, the nurses would abuse the patients, uh, constantly yelling at them to shut up or beating them if they wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, the food she said they were served spoiled beef. Oh. And their their drinking water was often dirty and not safe for drinking. Hmm. Uh, there was waste and rats everywhere, including Ugh. where they would where they would eat. The patients that were lab- labeled dangerous or violent, they would be tied up with rope. Oh, and she also said about like their baths, they would put one by one. They would put each patient in a bathtub and just throw freezing water on them and reuse the same water for multiple patients. Until the water was brown. Ugh, man. Ugh. Yeah, and and they would each have to use the same towels, and some of the people had like certain sores or diseases or whatever, and they'd have to just use the same uh, towels and everything. Yeah, so it was really not great, and you can imagine she's trying to <laughs> she's trying to get out at this point. Uh, yeah. So she ends up spending ten days in the insane asylum uh, before the New York World can secure her release from the outside. So they, wow. they have to go oh, go in good. and say, I was worried that they were you know, not going to cooperate with her. Yeah, I mean, do you have any details on how they did that? 
No, I, I think um, I think they just had to go and, and vouch for her, and I, I think they they might have tried sooner, but it took ten days for it to be cleared or whatever. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. So she ends up publishing articles about this and publishing a report, which actually turned into a book called Ten Days in a Madhouse." So you can see, you know, six months in Mexico, ten days in a madhouse. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good, she's good spending name, lengths of time in various places. That's gonna, be a, it's gonna be a hot seller. That's a nice title, you know. Yeah, it's interesting to somebody. They see that right. on the shelf, you know. Right. So this this book and this report causes a national sensation much more than her Mexico one did. Sweet she, justice. Man. She actually <laughs> right. She actually garners a lot of fame for it, and uh, actually does cause the insane asylum to co- like have some reforms in what they do. So mm. that that that's was. Good. Yeah. That was good. Um, good job, Nelly. Yeah, good job. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was good. <laughs> but she wasn't. She she wasn't done there. She she came out of there, uh, and she wanted to keep doing some investigative journalist, but journalism. But uh, she kind of moved on to a different uh, different topic here. So, just a little background information. So, all of this is happening in the 1880s. Well. Back in 1872, about, you know, 15 years previously or so, the novel Around the World in 80 Days was published oh, by, yeah. oh. okay. by Jules Verne. I just rewatched the movie with Jackie Chan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, Great that's movie. the one. Uh, by Jules Verne, uh, a French novelist. And that was a very popular novel. And so Nellie Bly suggested to her editor that she attempt the journey in less time. No way. <laughs> yeah. It's like a, what? a great one-up contest right yeah, there. Yeah. So in, in the book, right, the main character's name is Phileas Fogg. Yeah. He he makes it in 80 days around the world. And it kind of, you know, the book tells you kind of the places that he goes. Uh and so she's saying, I can do it in 75 days. Um, that was her goal. Well, she should make sure to avoid Arnold Schwarzenegger, the Ottoman Sultan. And <laughs> it's a reference to the movie. What, I, need to I, felt, I felt movie, like it, so. yeah. yeah. She'll need to take Jackie Chan. It's not in the book. It's in the As movie. a resident Turk, I was just really thrown off by why this... The strongest man in the world, who's from Austria, was depicted as this Ottoman soldier. <laughs> no, neither here nor there. You just gotta go with it. Turkish yeah. representation in Hollywood is not that great. Whatever, blah blah blah. Yeah. Well, also in the book, Phileas Fogg's sidekick is a Frenchman, and in the movie, it's Jackie Chan. So, uh, I mean, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry about that. A- anyway. Um, so, in 1889, she sets out on this expedition. She mm. uh, sets out on the Augusta Victoria, which is a ship that was crossing the Atlantic. She starts in uh, New York. Actually, she actually she starts in uh, New, New Jersey uh, out of one of their ports. She leaves in the Augusta Victoria, headed across the Atlantic, heading to England. Um, and she took with her a dress and a coat, a bag of toiletries, extra underwear, and some money, and some, like, a couple of cups, and some eyewear things, and, and, and things like that. So she only had one, pretty much one set of clothes, uh, like one dress. She, she didn't take an extra outfit. And she kept 200 pounds of English currency in banknotes and gold in a bag tied around her neck. Uh, so she pretty much is carrying like a small bag and the things that she's wearing and that's it. 
So she heads across the Atlantic. Now, interestingly, this whole journey is sponsored by the New York world. Squarespace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, it's all it's all paid for and it's all kind of this it's almost a publicity stunt type thing for the New York world because she'll she her plan is to be reporting on her journey back to the New York mm. world and when she gets back writing a report and kind of garner this national acclaim of like Oh, you've heard of the book Around the World in 80 Days. Well, we've got this girl here who did it in 75. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you tell a game show host? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> They're all yeah. a bunch of George Bailey's. <laughs> ah, <see here. laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so a rival newspaper, uh, Cosmopolitan, Ooh. sends their own traveler to race against Nellie Bly. Oh. It was Kim Kardashian. <laughs> <laughs> They've now, changed why, a lot, James? haven't they? Like, <laughs> No, it was a uh, it was a woman named Elizabeth Bisland, uh, and she was actually sent in the opposite direction around the world. So she was sent across the U.S. first, westward, huh. wow. and then to cross the Pacific. Ooh, and bold go the move, other way. yeah, yeah. And so, it, so this is interesting. She was sent on the same day, right? Because they wanted to make it a race, but because of them being kind of after the fact. Elizabeth Bisland was only given six hours notice to prepare for this journey. Oh, my God. The Cosmopolitan was pretty much like, all right, uh, hey, you got to do this right now. You got to go today. And so she (laughs) packs up, like, the small things she can. Okay, next time the Cosmopolitan tries a virtue signal, we can be like, hey, (laughs) 200 years ago. (laughs) All right, hold on, hold on. James James and Samuel and I will take our bets on who wins. (laughs) Okay, sure, yeah. If you guys want to go ahead and say who wins, uh, Elizabeth Um, Bisland or not. Yeah, if the audience wants to pause and comment down below. (laughs) (laughs) You can't comment on the podcast. I mean, probably Nelly, right? I feel like Nelly's got that grit. Yeah. She's got that. Well, not only are am I meta guessing this with she's the you know the hero here, but isn't it I don't know isn't like traveling east faster? I guess that's I would think so too. (laughs) It is it is a shorter distance if you go that way. No, (laughs) (laughs) I mean like I know with air travel it's significantly you know quicker if you're going east than west Hmm. because of the winds and whatnot. But I don't know about if it's affected in the sea level. I mean, you also have to consider like I remember I think in the book they have to go across like a bunch of mainland America. I don't know. Maybe if you get a bunch of that done early, and yeah. it's mostly like ports and waters and British colonies because mm-hmm. Britain owned like everything at this point. So. <laughs> so I I will so I will give you guys this little tidbit before you place your final bets. Uh, Nellie didn't know that they had sent somebody to race against her until she was halfway around the world. Already. <laughs> She's like, are, are we competing? No, but if we were, I'd totally be winning. <laughs> you know? yeah. Well, she she didn't know she didn't know anyone else was sent until she had made it to Hong Kong. Actually, uh, wow. Uh, she hears a report mm-hmm. of it. So. I don't know wow. if that might persuade you guys to vote any well. certain way, but... <laughs> well, that makes me want to be like, maybe not Nelly, but g- got to stick with my gut. I say Nelly wins. Yeah, I'm, I'm with yeah. Daniel on this one. Hey. Johnny, what do you say? <laughs> uh, Let's well, hear it. I'll, I'll, yeah, no, I'll, I'll get to that. So I'll, I'll tell you about the trip a little bit first. So actually, interestingly, so she goes across the Atlantic... And that first journey across the Atlantic in this ship, she gets really seasick. She hadn't really done a lot of sea travel before that, so she was really seasick throughout that journey. But that was kind of the only time that she got sick on the whole journey. After that, she did she did a lot better. Wow, that's actually pretty good. Yeah, yeah, pretty good for you know uh, for as long as she's traveling. Right, a round trip journey around the world and everything. But she arrives in Southampton, England, and she learns that 
Jules Verne, the author of Around the World in 80 Days, has invited her to meet him in France because he's heard that this journalist mm. wants to attempt his journey. Oh, oh wow. Um, That's so wow. cool. Yeah, so he he lives in France. He's French. Uh, he lives in Am- Amiens, 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 <laughs> France. That's Amiens. it. Amiens. Yeah. Uh, Amiens. So she arrives in England and she quickly has to plan a detour to, to France, which wasn't part of her original plan. But oh. So is he trying to sabotage her? So he doesn't... <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I've, I've, paid, I've bet a lot of money on Elizabeth Bisland. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Yeah, no, no. He really just wants to meet her from, you know, from what I have read. Yeah. Um, so she actually has to stay up for two nights in order to make this happen. Oh, wow. Um, to, in order to make this detour happen. So she, she goes there. Jules Verne meets her at the station and talks to her through a translator. And they have a wonderful, uh, a wonderful time together for a short while. Actually, Jules Verne and his wife both come to meet her. He tells her that the inspiration for the novel he wrote actually came from a newspaper article. And so it kind of comes for full circle now. She's writing newspaper article inspired by the book. Uh, so that was... Uh, I oh. like just So, yeah. wow, a cycle. Yeah. So after that quick detour, she keeps going. I'll just kind of give this brief pinpointing of where she went. From France, she goes to Italy, and then she crosses the Mediterranean into Egypt, and then she goes across the Red Sea to Yemen, over to Sri Lanka. Most of this is on boats at this point. Then to Penang in Malaysia. Then to Singapore. Then to Hong Kong. So it's in Hong Kong where some of the people there had actually heard that she was making this trip, some people in the stations, and told her that Elizabeth Bisland had just been there a few days ago. Ooh. Uh, going the opposite direction, obviously. Oh, okay. Point. And so that's where she first hears about this. But she says she's not there to race anybody. All she's racing is against time. She's not trying to race against Elizabeth Bisland. <laughs> that her speed increased twofold. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> that, that would be me. I'd be like, uh, yeah, I'm not racing that. Pro- okay, fine. <laughs> I just start going. <laughs> yeah, so from Hong Kong, she goes over to Japan uh, through Yokohama and Tokyo. And then she makes the longest sea journey across the Pacific, lands in San Francisco. And she's actually, at this point, two days behind schedule when she lands in San Francisco. Because of Jules Verne, man. Yep. Oh, man. Ironic. What ends up happening is the New York world charters a private one-car train just to bring her back across the U.S. Nice. uh, To get her back in time. Uh, A little little rigged, but... Let me guess, the Cosmopolitan didn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) Those jerks. (laughs) So she arrives back in New York after 72 days. Oh, wow. And Bisland arrives four days later. Oh, oh no. Oh, Get wrecked, Samuel. A wizard yes. arrives when she means to. <laughs> Whatever that quote is. Just because of the private cart. Right. Oh, yeah, Samuel, Samuel's getting all salty it's now. Like, cheating. oh, you guys just won because no, of the private no, cart. No, Sam, yeah. you, you just, you, you should have backed Team Bisland exactly. forever. Yeah. <laughs> I'll wow. always support you, Bisland. Yeah. <laughs> You uh, don't even know anything about this. <laughs> well, I will. She's my next unsung hero. That's right. Wow. Next episode. <laughs> Elizabeth Bislin. So Nellie Bly 
wins the quote-unquote race and garners a lot of attention for this. Although, you know, at this point, she actually had the world record for a shortest trip around the world. But, uh, you know, it was only a few months until other people attempted the same and and did it in shorter amount of time. I feel like if an amateur can do it, I mean, no offense, of course, but if like a newbie can do it their first time, I'm guessing technology and travel at this point got to a point where people could do that pretty right. regularly now. And, and after this, I mean, by the early 1900s, you know, travel is, you know, rapidly expanding. And, mm-hmm. and so... And I, I guess the farthest she had ever traveled was Mexico. Yeah, but well, before this, yeah, she hadn't traveled that yeah. much. So that, yeah, I guess in a sense, she was kind of an amateur, hadn't gone to too far of a distance I guess not overseas at all. But she still doesn't stop there. So she she keeps keeps writing for uh, the New York world for a little while. A few years later, uh, 1895, she marries Robert Seaman, who was a millionaire, actually. Mm. Uh, he was a very successful American manufacturer, had this uh, manufacturing company called Ironclad Manufacturing. Uh, they made milk cans and various other like metallic cans and things like that she when they got married she was 31 years old um do you guys want to guess how old he was 52 Mm, little little older 63 Mm, he was 73 oh yeah Yeah. i Uh, mean if that is not That's, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know what. I don't know where you're going with that, Daniel. Search for the money. Yeah. Money. Well, so so she he he kind of has declining health, so she actually has to stop doing journalism to help take care of him and to help run the business, Ironclad Manufacturing. Oh wow, she seemed to take on some good responsibility there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so she actually, while she's doing this, she's credited with a couple of inventions. Uh, no way. Flashback to Antonio Mietti. <laughs> 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 uh, so she has the, she actually has two patents under her name for this uh, kind of milk can thing and this other type of garbage can that can be stacked on top of, you know, one another. Uh, she has these patents uh, under her name. And she actually, you know, some people think that she has uh, other patents that weren't under her name, but that she was the, that she really invented. But that's kind of all, you know, rumors. Uh, but there were actually several things that she had invented, which is pretty interesting, actually, at this point in her life, after doing all of this journalism and, and traveling and everything, that she started doing something completely <laughs> Different from all of that. Yeah. Once again, we see heroes are venturing into a bunch of different fields. Yeah. So her husband, Robert Seaman, he dies in 1904. uh, And she actually runs the business for a little while after that. But it ends up going bankrupt because one of the managers was embezzling money. Oh. So it's kind of. Oh, no. Yeah. Thanks, bro. Found the moral of the story. Yeah. (laughs) Don't embezzle. Don't embezzle. Don't embezzle. <laughs> <laughs> That's a complicated An one. An hour long episode for this. Like, yeah. Don't embezzle. Yeah. So, well, after that, right, after that, the company goes bankrupt, she goes back to journalism. 
She ends up so okay. I know that we said we weren't doing stories on World War Two, one or World War Two, but she ends up covering <laughs> some stories. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> <laughs> so she she ends up doing pieces on World War One, and she actually goes and visits a war zone between Serbia and Austria, which she was the first woman to actually go into this war zone. Wow, wow. Um, which is interesting. But she also so she covers a woman's suffrage parade of uh, 1913 kind of helping to rally some support for women and and earning the right to vote. During this coverage, she predicts that it would be 1920 before women had the right to vote, which uh, she ended up being right. 1920 is Mm. when women gained the right to vote. So she was right on the money. The prophet. Yeah. Yeah. Right after World War I. You know, it's interesting. She actually was contemporous to um, both Robert Abram Bartlett and Mad Jack. And near the beginning of her life, uh, Antonio Mietchi. So That's right. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. Huh. A lot of heroes in this time. Man, imagine yeah. all those in a bar. What a world. <laughs> what a world. Like yeah. getting all those together in a restaurant. Yep. Yeah. That would be. That'd uh, be a fun meal. They're quite a story. <laughs> um, she ends up, uh, she, she dies in 1922 in New York City. Uh, of of pneumonia. Yeah. Um, So she was, at this point, 57, 58? I think think 57. So pretty young. Yeah, not, Mm -hmm. I mean... I mean, relatively. Not not super young, but yeah, she she didn't... uh, She didn't end up to to live into very old age or anything, so... Mm -hmm. But yeah, she... um, I mean, she kept working on a lot of these stories and a, a lot of this... You know, a, a lot of these injustices she she continued to have a passion for, you know, uh, up up until she died. So, um, yeah, yeah. I just thought it was so interesting that she did so many different things, even after all of this journalism, going into manufacturing, yeah. and then back into journalism. Yeah. yeah, she had a very varied life, very yeah. full and interesting. That was really yeah. fascinating yeah. to learn. I really enjoyed that, actually. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you can see why uh, there were some. I believe some documentaries uh, about her life and uh, a TV movie made about her life. And uh, so, I mean, she is pretty well known. She, she, a lot of you, like I said, a lot of you listening might've heard about her or, or even learned a little bit about her in school. She did pioneer a lot of this type of journalism, you know? And so, uh, yeah, a lot of that is, is credited to her, uh, but I just thought her story was so interesting. I, I wanted to talk about it and yeah. share it with you guys. Yeah. So. That's Thanks awesome. Johnny. That was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, thanks, thank Johnny. Thanks. Yeah, no problem, guys. Really, honestly, it, it, when when I'm trying to do some of this research, I try to find somebody who I just find interesting that I want to read about, and and then I find that that'll you know that'll help with you know in, intimating that to you so that it's uh, mm-hmm. you know interesting. Sweet. So yeah, we'll uh, start writing a song that'll play right after this about Nellie Bly, the investigative journalist. Uh, so stick around for that. Uh, but yeah, any other thoughts, guys? Around the world in 75, 72, 72 days. days. Two days. Actually, so that's actually the third book that, that <laughs> that's what it's called, Around the World in 72 Days. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, there yeah. we go. I was about oh. to say, there should be a book written about she, that. She yeah. wrote, yeah, her, like, the articles that she had kind of written were compiled into this book or what, you know, and it talks about her, her journey. Uh, cool. So yeah, again, uh, a, a place or various places in a length of time i feel like we should take a road trip or a, a boat trip at some point just to follow this trail you want to go on the same trail as her because that'll i mean honestly that sounds great if, if we <laughs> do it by boat 
it, it will take a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Samuel, why don't you pay for us and we'll do it? Let's, well, yeah. <laughs> I will do that once we start getting uh, sponsors. some sponsors. So. <laughs> yeah, like that. That's good. Yeah, <laughs> if anyone wants to sponsor our journey. Well, we yeah. lost out on Cosmopolitan already. This episode is sponsored by United Airlines. <laughs> taking us around the world. We'll make podcast yeah. episodes on what we're seeing in front of us and try to describe <laughs> it to people. Yeah. Well, apparently the fastest trip around the world is in 2005, a guy named Steve Fawcett did it just by flying in 67 hours. Man, 67 that, hours. I mean, that's just like circumnavigation more than... Yeah. How times have changed. Wow. Man. So, Man. That's crazy. Yeah. Around the world in 72 hours. I mean, this... Okay. Right. <laughs> it was less than that, Sam. Yeah, it was already <laughs> less than that, Sam. <laughs> I was just trying to do a parallel. I see, I see what you judge. were going for, but yeah. I'm just paralleling it. Yeah. <laughs> It is it is impressive when you think about Nellie Bly. She did it on boats and trains the whole way. So yeah. that is that is pretty, yeah. At that time, too, for a, a woman to travel by herself around the entire world. Yeah. And, and like, stay safe out there. I mean, it's just crazy to me. Yeah, it, it it's rumored that when she told her editors she wanted to do this, they were kind of making fun of her and saying she couldn't really do it because she was a woman or she would have to pack a bunch of bags and stuff like that, you know. <laughs> she would pack a bunch of bags. Huh. I mean, I like just from a safety standpoint. I feel like it might must, must not have been that safe. That's for, true. Like a woman alone. But, Although you know. re- reportedly she re- she refused to take any guns or anything with her. Hmm. You know, wow. she yeah. she refused to do that. Yeah, Honestly, so. the most impressive thing I've heard about Nelly so far is that she only packed less than one suitcase. Yeah. I mean, I've I've been moving over the past week or two, and oh my gosh. Living off less than one suitcase is yeah. I I can't I can't travel a weekend without. I one know. Suitcase. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Well, she was only doing it for seventy two days, but it's still pretty impressive when yeah. you think about you know. I mean that's yeah. that's uh, you know over two months, like two and a half months ish. So it's pretty long, but so yeah. Uh, stay tuned for the song, and uh, we'll see you guys on the next one. See y'all. Yeah. All right. Thanks for thanks for listening, everyone. Nelly wrote a letter Ooh, he's gonna get it She'll rise up to the top Pittsburgh dispatch now She's moving out of state Cause she's acting all insane Naming all the names Gonna bring her fame Inside scoop Bring the news It's all true She's got the story So let's read the news And let's get down tonight She's going all around the world It's Nelly Bly Thought she crazy But she undercover No one's gonna beat it Is 80 days enough? Nelly's gotta try now Cosmo took the bait Now it's turned into a race In 72 days You will be amazed Inside scoop Bring the news 
it's all true She's got the story, so let's read the news and let's 